take a look at um, uh, the third part in a series that we started a couple weeks ago. We started, if you, if you haven't been here, we've started um, two weeks ago on a series um, by Andy Stanley. Uh, it's kind of one of the first times we're doing a series by someone else, a complete series. Uh, it's a little bit different. We're sharing some different uh, things I feel like Kingsway specifically needs to hear. But um, going through, it's based on that. If you're interested, you can go online and find that um, on, on um, iTunes or in uh, Andy's podcast and and uh, listen to some of the stuff there. I'd encourage you to. It's been really, really good. But the series we've been looking at is called Christian, with a question mark. Christian. Uh, and so what we've been doing and looking at the last two weeks is, what is this deal with this, um, these Christians? What is the, what is the deal with um, this word that so many people claim to be, yet we can't really define what it is? If we had to put a dictionary definition based on your responses and those of the world around us, it would be so different and so many um, have so many different thoughts. And we found that, that a lot of Christians have just kind of hid behind the label of, I'm a Christian, uh, but have no idea what it means nor what, it's, um, what Jesus has called us to live. And so you can believe anything you want and still be Christian. Uh, you know, I say you can live any way you want as long as, for some of you, as long as you're in church on Sunday morning, well, then you're a Christian. Uh, if you know, you know, if you pray when you're going through a tough time, well, then you must be Christian. Or for some, it's like, well, if I'm not a bad person, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian. Or I was born and baptized as a baby in a church. So yeah, I'm, I'm Christian. But what we learned over the last couple of weeks is that it's not, Jesus never called anyone to be a Christian. And, and that in this book, that's all about what we would say Christianity. It only mentions the word three times, and it never tells us what it actually means. It, we've learned um, in the last couple, couple of weeks that the term Christian, that kind of stuck uh, for a couple thousand years, was actually like a, a, a derogatory term. It was like a racial slur back in the day, and somehow that's the name that stuck with us. But it's not the one that they started out with. Uh, and so um, what we learned uh, in the last couple of weeks is that Jesus never called people to be Christians, but he called them to be something else, a different word. Anybody remember what that is? Disciple. And that word is in the Bible lots. And it's very clear what that's all about. And he says, hey, if we sing that song, I have decided to follow Jesus. It's not this idea of, I have decided to be a Christian. Whatever that means. Whatever that means. It's this idea of, I'm deciding to follow Jesus. So where he goes, I go. What he says, I do. What he, his desire for me is what I want my desire to be. So we pray, God, change me. That's what we're saying. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's scary because that starts separating the group here this morning uh, to, to those who are like, well, I'm a Christian because I go to church, to those who say, you know what? No, I'm not going to settle for that. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple. The main difference is that a Christian is all about, you know, what you believe. And being a disciple or a follower of Jesus is all about what you do, what you actually do. Not what you claim to believe, but what you actually do. Um, and the world is looking for some genuine Christians. And something we wanted to talk about, my, uh, my wife, Beth, um, uh, a, a couple months ago, my son, uh, Maddox, we were, we were um, at my parents' place, and they have a pool, and Maddox was swimming in the pool with his life jacket on. And then in, somewhere in the, in, the, in the afternoon, his life jacket, we took it off, and he was standing there, and he had been just stepping off into the deep end of, of, or into the pool, and uh, the life jacket would pop him back to the surface. Well, he wasn't wearing his life jacket and didn't really realize it, so he just stepped off into the pool, and Beth described it as, I just saw him drop to the bottom and stand there looking up through the water. And so she was like courageous and like just super fast, like reflexes of a ninja, jumped in the water, saved his life, uh, and I'm super grateful for that. Um, but in the process, 
uh, her iPhone died. Uh, and so it was in her back pocket. We put it in rice for a week. That doesn't work. Um, and afterwards realized the phone is dead. So we had to get a new phone. And um, it's just not fair if I have an iPhone and she doesn't. So we got a new iPhone, but she got a new case. She's like, if I ever have to be in this situation again, I want that thing protected. So we bought this case called the LifeProof case, and it's waterproof and pretty near indestructible. You can drop it, and it's, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's going to protect that phone. And so they're 100 bucks. And Beth, being a good Dutch woman, went on Kijiji and found one for 50, right? And so I was like, oh, you know what? Awesome. Yes, what a deal. So she went and she picked it up, and, 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 and life has been um, bliss ever since. Until just a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, unfortunately, um, Beth was out with, um, with the kids and maybe a little frustrated, and the phone fell um, just with a little bit of force behind it, and it hit the ground. And um, it, the, the case, uh, surprise of all surprises, the case cracked and broke and now it was no longer waterproof and it was broken and so um, she contacted the warranty and his lifetime warranty and it was like all you got to do is send a picture of the case and the serial number and we'll replace it for free. I was like man that's awesome you know how great is that? So she takes the picture sends it in they said yeah no problem we'll replace it sends the picture in and she gets an email back she's like yes our warranty covers 100% of things like this if it was one of our cases but this is not a genuine life proof case and I was like Ah, oh, man, Kijiji, ah, oh, you know, why did we, why did we think we were going to get a deal on something? We had expectations that this, that this warranty was going to be good, expectations that it would be waterproof, expectations that if it ever broke, they would fix it, and, you know, we had just had a great deal, and our expectations were that what we had was genuine, and I want to tell you that, you know, there's nothing like that feeling like, ah, oh, when you find out it wasn't. And you know that's the same thing that a lot of times we have to realize as followers of Jesus Christ? Is that those who are not followers of Jesus Christ, and some of you are here today, there's, they have expectations of us as followers of Jesus Christ that sometimes we don't even have of ourselves. They kind of expect that we would be genuine. And a lot of times we don't even have those expectations of ourselves. We like to hide behind the label of, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And they're looking at us and saying, well, they're not like Jesus. They're not like Jesus. They're not like Jesus. Why? If they call themselves Christians, are they not more like Jesus? Have you ever heard, and some of you are here, you're like, yes, you know what, I've been waiting for this because, you know, this is the reason I don't want to go to church. This is the reason I, I don't, I don't want to be part of this thing called Christians is because they don't look like, um, they don't look like Christians. And Jesus had said to his, his disciples, he's like, there's one thing that's going to define you as followers, as disciples. And do you remember what it was? Love. He said, you know what, just by this, all men are going to know that you're my followers. Not by where you sit on Sunday morning, not by what you believe, not by the fact that you pray, the fact that you love one another. And he says, and love them the way that I love them. But uh, he, you know, so there's this thought of this is how we're supposed to treat those who are part of the family. What about those who are on the outside? Those who, um, who are not followers of Jesus Christ? Because he, he said some specific things about that. In Matthew chapter 28, um, verses 18, uh, if you just go there, maybe I'll grab that one off the screen. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on, and on earth. So go, therefore, and make what? Go and make disciples. He didn't say go and make Christians. He said go and make disciples, followers of me, of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then it says, teaching them, who is the them, the disciples, the followers, to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. If you're a follower of Jesus, what an awesome promise that is. He never leaves you. You know, if you're, as you've decided to follow him, he is with you that whole time um, uh, going through. But Jesus, this is, these are his last words. 
Jesus is leaving the building. He's leaving earth and going to heaven, and he's, well, he's not coming back. He said soon, but he has a whole different idea of soon because it's been 2,000 years. But um, he's leaving, and this is kind of the last thing he says to them. Go and do this. Go and, and make disciples. That word actually means cause people to become followers. Go and cause people to become followers of me. And so when he left, the, the followers of Jesus, this group of disciples, they kind of hung out in Jerusalem for a while, for about 40 days, and um, Holy Spirit came on their lives, and they went out, and they did exactly what he said. They started going all over the world, and they started um, in, in Jerusalem first, and then to some of the neighboring uh, towns and cities, and they began to um, share this good news about Jesus, and they began to cause others to be followers of Jesus. They didn't say, hey, come on, just be a Christian with us. They said, hey, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. You in? And people were like, yeah. You know, my life doesn't make sense, but man, this is awesome. I can be forgiven. I can, I can, yes, I'm, I'm in. I want to do that. And so they began to do that. And they began to love one another in those groups. And, uh, you know, there was um, war that broke out with the Jews against uh, the Romans. And the, the followers of Jesus didn't join in with them. They just decided, no, we're going to love. We're going to do what Jesus said. And we talked about that last week. And that worked awesome for about 300 years. 300 years, they were kind of the outcasts. Nobody wanted anything to do with them, but they just kept loving and because they kept loving, they kept growing, they kept infiltrating and influencing the, their worlds, which we talked about last week. And then after 300 years, they influenced the most powerful people at that time, which was the Romans. And the Roman Empire said, you know what, we're going to make all religions legal, but we want Christianity to be ours. The Catholic Church gained all of its strength out of that. It became, you know, the, the, the religion of choice for so many. But the problem is something happened at that point that took us in the exact opposite direction. See, whenever the church leverages anything other than love, we go backwards. And whenever, that's today. If the church ever leverages anything other than love, we go backwards in our influence. And so what, what happened then is now that, now that they had the, the government behind them, it became this church and state deal where now the church had power. So instead of the Great Commission, which we just looked at, where it was like, hey, go into all the world and make followers, which we know followers were going to be people who would love. The Great Commission kind of turned into something that sounded like this, uh, as if Jesus had said, therefore, go and impose my teachings, impose my values and my worldview on all nations, on everyone, threatening them with judgment and destruction if they don't do everything that I've commanded you. Like, yeah, that kind of sounds a little bit more like the churches that I, that I hear today, the churches that I know of today. Um, this idea of, you know, the world, you're all going to hell. You know, if there's, there's hurricanes that happen, it's like, yeah, that's God's judgment on those people because, you know, they're those people. They're just dirty, rotten sinners. And, um, but this wasn't the message of Jesus, and it was never the message of the New Testament. It was something that changed um, somewhere in that, but it wasn't even how— the, the message that that small group of believers shared with one another until they ultimately influenced a whole empire. All they did was just take seriously what Jesus said. And my encouragement to you today is the same thing. Don't settle for just being Christian. Don't settle for just being, oh, I'm just part of a church congregation. But as an individual, say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to love like he loved. And you know, the thing is, it's something that we, have, we feel is just really great news that we want to share with the world. Somehow we got it wrong. Somehow we got it uh, all backwards. Because, you know, we believe that, um, and you'd probably uh, agree with me if you're a follower of Jesus, that we found something great, hey? You know, you're hearing and seeing the smile on a young guy who says, I, I decided this week to follow Jesus, and it just lit him up on the inside. You know, you, you'd be around Mike Mitchell for like uh, five minutes, and like, you're just hearing like something like, 
wow, God is phenomenal. And we're like, yeah, yeah. We, we've discovered something great. We believe that, that you're, you know, God can forgive you of sins you don't even know you have. You know, we, we believe that God can just set you free from that feeling of guilt. We believe that you can have an understanding of your purpose in life. So you're not just wandering aimlessly through life, chasing the next best thing, and it always ending up empty. We believe that God can fix marriage. We believe that God can set addicts free. We, we believe there's some really, something really great about that. But somehow, in our sharing it with the world, it just doesn't come across that way. You know, like we said, our mission as a church is we want to build a healthy, life-giving church that unchurched people would want to become a part of. You know, when you think about unchurched people, what's the last thing they want to do? <laughs> Go to church. Why? Because it's full of Christians, right? It's full of hypocritical, judgmental, narrow-minded, you know, homophobic, uh, whatever, self-righteous people. But it's not that. The message was never that. It's just somehow we've, we've communicated it wrong. And what we've done is we've pushed people away from something that they needed. And it was, it's, it's um, something that we don't have to do. We never had to do it that way. And Paul, he begins to talk to the, to the, to the church about this and says, hey, there's, a, there's um, uh, some teaching on this, how to treat those who are outside of the, of the, of the followers of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, the, he wrote a letter to a group called uh, the Corinthians, and they lived in a town um, or a city of Corinth. So if you just turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to get there uh, in a second. Um, but Paul wrote four letters to this group, uh, to this church, this little gathering of believers in Corinth. Um, two of them got lost. Um, somebody lost them. It wasn't me, but someone lost them. And so now all we have left is two. And so those two letters are, are the ones we have in the Bible called First and Second Corinthians. Paul references the other letters, but Corinth was this place. It was a port city just sort of south of Greece, and it was like Las Vegas of that day. Whatever happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. You know, it was a very immoral uh, place. Uh, they celebrated sex. Uh, that was, Sex was part of their religion. Uh, you went to church and had sex. It was like really odd and weird. But this is the this is where, I mean, their churches were probably full, but there's, this is like this really odd and strange, strange, immoral thing when Jesus came in and said, hey, you know, um, to, that we live differently. You know, love looks different. Respect looks different. And Paul began to share this with these group of people in Corinth, and they began to say, yeah, we believe that. And they, be, they, they made this little church in Corinth, and um, Paul left. And so when he had left, he wrote these letters back to this little group in Corinth and said, hey, here's how you live in a culture that wants nothing to do with what you're doing. You live in a culture that wants absolutely nothing to do with what you're doing. Guess what? We kind of live in a culture like that too. You know, people don't really, they don't want, I don't want to hear about, we don't talk about politics or religion, right? We don't want anything to do with what you guys want, and yet we know we've got a message that we feel they need to, uh, that benefits them to, to hear it. So he wrote them this letter, and as he's writing this letter, he's, um, he writes them, and he tells them, he's like, hey, you know what? Um, word gets back to Paul from this church, wherever Paul's writing this letter from, word gets back to him that something just absolutely nasty is going on in this church. Like this stuff, he says, you know, the pagans have heard about this, what's going on in your church, and they think that's just really crazy and wonky, and they're looking at you going, oh man, nobody does that. Like this is gross. And he's like, I kind of need to talk to you guys a little bit about that. So he addresses this particular issue in, this, in the middle of this letter, and then he also teaches us something profound about how we are to deal with people who are inside and outside of the community of faith. Do you know the difference between inside and outside, right? We're inside, and out there is outside. Important to know the difference, right? So like what to wear if you're going to be sitting inside, and what to wear if you're going to be outside in the winter. It's important to know the difference of things. Do you guys know the difference between um, toilet paper and a towel? 
Good. If you don't, you're not coming to my house. All right? So it's, uh, it's important to know the differences between things. And this is what Paul is saying to them uh, in this part of the letter. So right in the middle of the letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. He's like, I can't even believe um, that what I'm hearing. Something that even the pagans don't do. So what Paul writes, he says, he says right here, there's two different standards or levels of morality. There's, a, uh, there's an inside, a followers of Jesus morality, and there's an outside. There's a pagan. They, they all have standards. They're just different standards. Everyone has standards. They just have different ones. So Paul says to them, he says, uh, hey, you guys, he says, I can't believe what's going on. This stuff, the pagans wouldn't even do this kind of stuff that you guys are doing. And for us in modern day, it would be like the stuff that's happening in, in the church they wouldn't even let that on Jerry Springer. Like, he's like, that's just too bad. I can't even have that on my show. And we're like, nothing's too bad for that show. But that's the same thought. He's like looking at it going, man, what's happening in your church? That's like, ugh, just absolutely crazy. And now you guys are like, oh, well, what is it? What's happening? I want to know, right? So you want to know? All right, so we'll tell you. So he says, um, he says, you're so proud of yourselves, but you should be, oh no, in verse one, he says, I am told that a man in your church in the new living, it says is living in sin, but it's basically saying he's having sex with his stepmother. And um, we're like, oh, man, the, the, the Paul's saying, hey, even the pagans are looking at that going, man, that is just, that's not right. And it's not this idea in the, in the wording, it's not this idea that it like happened once, you know, or the guy gets up and, you know, she's brushing her teeth and he's like, oh, and it's like, oh, man, so one thing led to another. It was just an accident. I'm really sorry. It wasn't one of those. It was one of these things of like, this is happening every single day that's ongoing. They come to church together. They're all proud of it. And as a church, they're all proud of it. Wow, we're so, we, we're so accepting and loving. Look at how much grace we have. And he's like, listen, he says, that's just not, that's not right uh, that that's happening. And uh, the reason he writes them and says it this way is that the church probably wasn't huge. Like it, it would have been smaller than this because they would have been meeting in a house. Anybody's house here hold all these people? Huh. Yeah, challenge accepted. But they'd be in probably a group of about 50 people. They kind of knew everybody. They knew, everyone knew what was going on. It wasn't like that. this was this kind of secret thing. They knew it, and they were proud of it. And Paul says something just absolutely incredible. He says in verse 3, even though, well, he had told them in verse 2, he says, you're so proud of yourselves, but you shouldn't be. You should be mourning in sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. So he says, even though I'm not with you in person, I'm with you in spirit. And as though I were with you, I've already passed judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then we'd be like, wait a second, Paul. If we were there, we'd be like, Paul, okay, hold on. We got to explain something to you. Don't you know that the Bible says you shouldn't judge? Anybody ever heard that? Uh-huh. Say the Bible says, judge not lest thou be judged, right? And, and I'm going to just explain something to you uh, this morning that's going to, you know, you're going to, next time you hear that, you're going to be like all of a sudden the smartest person in the room because you're going to be able to tell them what it actually means if you pay attention right now. So when you ever, ever heard that, judge not lest you be judged. So they'd be saying, Paul, come on, the Bible says, you know, you're not supposed to judge. And Paul would say to them, I'm writing the Bible, right? So if I write in here that, you know, I judged him in the name of the Lord Jesus, that's in the Bible. So he's like, so then they're like, oh, well, now I'm confused. You know, Jesus said, don't judge. And now you're saying you judge this guy in the name of the Lord Jesus. So which is it? And Paul, he goes on to say some, uh, some things that are, that are just, that cl clarify it. But what he says here is the reason I'm judging this guy in the name of the Lord Jesus, this particular person, is because he's claimed to be a follower uh, of Jesus Christ. He's inside the church community. He's inside the followers. He said, he said, I want to be a disciple. I want to be a follower of Jesus. And this looks nothing like what Jesus would say. This is clearly sin that, that we know 
and the pagans know. Like, there's no question about the fact that this is sin. So he says, in dealing with this, he says, this is why. It's part of the, the reason is because they were proud of it. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 5, he says, so, he says, so then you must throw, or end of verse 4, so he says, I'll be present with you, or call, call a meeting of the church, and he says, I'll be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. So then you must throw this man out, hand him over to Satan, so that his sinful nature will be destroyed, and he himself will be saved on the day that the Lord returns. He says something really strong here. He's like, hand him over to Satan. The, the words there, is, it's, like a, it's kind of like a legal phrase that, that means, you know, make, make Satan this guy's parole officer. So it's like, here, meet your parole officer. It's Satan, right? And then he says, here, you, uh, you take care of this guy for a while, and uh, whenever he's, you know, r- repented, he can come back to church. And some of us are thinking, man, that's like really harsh. But Paul was saying this. He's not saying, hey, kick him out of the church, send, commit his soul to hell. That guy just doesn't deserve. He's not saying that. What Paul understands, and that oftentimes we figure it out, and eventually we'll all figure it out, is that every sin has a death. Every sin has a death. And it's not physical death, because then the first time you sin, boom, you're gone. But there's a death. There's a dying. You know, the first time you take a drink, you think, wow, that was fun. And then the death catches you a little while later when all of a sudden you're addicted. That first puff of a cigarette, is like, oh, yeah, it was cool, man, with all my buddies. And then later on, there's this death. It's like, oh, I can't stop. There's like that, the stuff that you look on the internet, and you think, oh, that was cool. And then later on, you're like, oh, I'm stuck. There's a death causes hurt in your marriage, causes hurt in your relationships. You know, maybe you started a relationship, you're like, oh, I, you know, I know I shouldn't date that person, but, oh, they're just so dreamy <laughs> and so hot, so good. Look, I, I, just for a little while. And then later on, you're like, oh, man, I'm in such a bad place. Why? Because death. So all those things, Paul says, listen, for this sin, there's a death. There's like, like a gotcha. You know, it's like, ah, oh, I'm having so much fun. Gotcha. It's like that idea of, you know that, uh, have you ever seen those bungee walls where they run as far as they can on a bungee rope and then it finally snaps them back? Some people get further than others and it hurts really bad. That's the idea. He says, it's going to snap back and it's going to hurt this guy. So he says, he says what you should be doing is not celebrating because he's going to get hurt really bad. He says the best thing for this guy is just let sin beat him up really bad. Kick him out so he realizes and says, you know what, you, you can do that. You can live that way. You just can't live that way here. So go out and live that way. And when sin beats you up and you realize it isn't cool, come on back. Because it says the idea is that his soul would be saved. And so he, he explains that to them. Uh, but it occurs to Paul, all of a sudden it occurs to him as he's writing this, he's like, wait a second, how did this happen? How did how did this even happen? And then all of a sudden he has this thought, like, ah, I think I know why this happened. Uh, and I think, I, I think it's in one of these other letters that I wrote that there was a misunderstanding. So in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 9, he writes this, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. They're like, yeah, Paul, we remember that. Don't hang out with people who are into sexual sin. And then uh, he says, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You'd have to leave the world to avoid people like that. Some of you are thinking, yeah, you're right. If I'm not supposed to hang out with anybody who's like in sexual sin, right? Like sleeping with anyone who's not their, their spouse. I can't even go to my family reunions anymore, right? Like, I, I, I gotta quit my job. I think there's probably one or two at U.S. Steel that live like that. I just can't go there anymore, right? He's like, he's saying you'd have to leave the world. And he's saying, I didn't tell you that. I'm not telling you you've got to divorce yourself from every relationship just because they're living um, in a way that's not something that, uh, that the Bible talks about or that, that I believe in. He says, you'd have to leave the world to avoid people like that. He says in verse 11, I meant that you're not to associate with anyone who, what? Claims to be a believer. 
claims to be a follower, claims to be, and you know what? This is where I think sometimes it's that idea of people claim to be Christian, and we've learned in the last couple of weeks of what that really means, but I would say this. When it comes to the place where someone claims to be a sincere follower of Jesus Christ, that's where this kicks in, and he says, um, anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin, and it's not like that they've got a, a porn uh, problem or that they, you know, every, that something that they're fighting or, or something that, um, you know, that they're, let's say, was, uh, is a sexual sin that they're, you know, whatever, struggling still against. It's this idea of they're living that way. They don't care. They're like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but, you know, I'm doing this anyways. And he says he adds a few things to the list. He says, or is greedy, or worships idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people. He says, don't even eat with those people. Don't even hang around with them. And so Paul's, he mentions to them, he says, hey, if there's a difference on how we treat those who are inside and those who are outside. He says there's something that, there's, a, there's somebody who's, if they're living in the wrong direction, they're part of the followers of Jesus Christ. It's, it's our obligation to judge that. We'll talk about that in a quick second. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 12, Paul asks like this big question. It's written in question form in almost every translation, not this one. Um, but in verse 12, he, um, he says, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those um, inside the church who are sinning. In the New King James, it says, what business of, of mine, what business uh, is it of mine to judge those who are outside the church? What business is it of ours to judge those who are outside the church? And he says, none. He says, it's not our business to judge anyone outside the church for what they wear, you know, how much they want to drink, who they want to sleep with, what their sexuality is, whatever they decide to embrace. We have no right to judge anyone outside the church because they never signed up for that. They never said, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ and I want to ascribe to this set of rules. Uh, they never said that. So there's never a point. And you know what? It's funny because that's kind of what the church has been really good at. We got real good at judging outsiders, and we've done a, maybe a, a, a less than effective job at judging insiders. And Paul says uh, the way we're to focus and, and, and respond to people outside of the church community is to not judge them. And he says, I already told you how to work inside, and that's love. And sometimes love is this idea of saying, buddy, you're walking the wrong way. Not you. Um, buddy, you're... <laughs> Buddy, you're, you're walking, you're living in a way that's going to snap you back so hard it's going to break you. As your brother, as a fellow follower of Jesus, I can't just watch you walk that way. We're going to talk about that next week uh, on how. But you know what? How many people do we know that have felt that, felt judged, felt, you know, uh, judged by the community of faith who are on the outside? You know, the first century church, the ones who are, uh, we talked about at the very beginning, they never expected the people around them. They didn't expect the rest of the Corinthians to act like Jesus followers. They had this really interesting thought, though. They expected the Jesus followers to act like Jesus followers. Wow, novel idea. It's the same thing. They expect the followers of Jesus, those who say, yes, I'm a Christian, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, to act like a follower of Jesus, and it's something that we've gotten backwards. And, and maybe you don't like the judge word. Maybe you're like, oh, I hate, I'm cringing. I hate everybody. Can I be honest? I've had a really difficult time with this passage in the past as well. Until this, this idea of, of um, uh, how it clarifies, because it's like, ah, it's different. There's a tension between that. We're going to talk about that next week. But um, maybe you don't like the judge word. But if you're, if you're, um, if you're a parent or you ever were a child, um, then, then this applies to you. So uh, anybody, a parent, or ever was a child? All right, okay, so you'll get this, though. If, if you're a parent, you know, you have some things in your house called rules. 
You know, because your kids, there's this thing of, of living by the rules. In our house, we, we have these rules of, you know, where it's not, it's not allowed to um, physically, you know, um, fight in angry ways with your, um, your brothers and sisters. We don't let them hurt each other, um, you know, the, out of anger. We also, um, uh, we, if they play, it's different. But um, we also, you know, have these rules about their room and their toy room being clean. And if, you know, we ask them to do something and they don't do it, we're going to sit down and we're going to have a talk and, uh, and we're going to enforce the rules. So if they break the rules, the judges show up. And it's usually the nice judge and the mean judge, right? So, and, and, then, and we, we judge them. And what does that mean? We hold them accountable to what we've asked them to do. That's all it is. We hold them accountable to it. And so if they didn't clean, you know, if, they, if they're fighting and, and hurting each other, we're going to say something like, hey, you know, you guys are not allowed to fight and hurt each other. So now you're going to have to go to your room. And while you're there, you might as well clean it because that's another one on the list, right? And so they, they, would, um, they would go and do that and they might walk their room. And my kids, they don't know this yet, but maybe the older ones, you know, you have, and they're like, oh, I feel so judged. And I don't care because I'm the judge, right? I'm holding them accountable. So I don't want them to grow up and live like slobs, you know, and have to have their wife, you know, correct them uh, about where and what a, what a hamper is. And, you know, I had to learn a whole lot of things just because I, I didn't learn it growing up. But, but this, this idea of want something different for my kids, right? So, so there's this idea of the rules of our house, and a good household has rules. It's same in the, inside the community of faith. Inside the Jesus followers, there's these things. And Paul's saying, hey, you know what? Um, there's a holding one another accountable to something. And you know, the thing is this. That might be in my house, but I'm not coming to your house and being like, you Jefferson kids, get to your room and clean up that disaster of a mess because they're not my kids. I don't care if your kids live in a, a pigsty. I don't care if your kids beat the tar out of each other because they're not my kids. I'm not going to come and hold them accountable to a rule or whatever, a standard that's not in your home. And he says the exact same thing about the church, the community of faith, is we are not to hold anyone else accountable to the standards, but we are to hold those in our community accountable to those standards. So, um, uh, and that's where, you know, the Bible doesn't say you're not supposed to judge. It tells us who to judge. So I want to leave you with one last thought. Uh, and this thought is so that it's like, it's always in your mind, and you're just never, you might not like it, but you're never going to forget it. You're going to remember this as you go through. So how many of you, you know, when you were growing up or whatever, you've been to a church where when the pastor said something and it was like, yes, that's profound, they would shout out, amen. Anybody? Uh-huh. So some of you were like, in that church, you're like, mm-hmm, yeah, uh-huh, preach it. A ever been in any of those? Yeah, so um, anybody ever seen, like, something happens, you're like, yes! You know, something happened that was right, you're like, yeah! And you have some sort of um, response to that, you some sort of cheer of approval, right? So I'm going to ask you guys to do your very best of whatever that is. No profanity, but just whatever the best of that is. Yeah, awesome, amazing. So what Paul said, you ready? Paul said this, and, and it, uh, Paul didn't say it like this, but what he meant, and it's really churchy, it's really cheesy, it's really pastor sounding, but Andy Stanley made it up, it's not mine. But I, it's, it's something that, that I think you remember. So, so this is what Paul is saying, and everything that we've said today comes down to this one sentence. Paul says, judge the believing, not the heathen. <laughs> judge the believing, not the heathen. Hold people accountable who are believers, and if they're not, stop judging them. It's never been our part. See, the, if the church, I know, and some of you are like, oh, that was bad. That was just terrible, but you're not going to forget it. Uh, it, it the next time, you, you know, you're tempted to judge somebody, you're like, oh, wait, oh, they're not a follower of Jesus Christ. They never signed up to live a different way. Of course they're going to, you know, that, that's the, 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 the life that they're going to live. But in, in all of it, if we ever leverage anything other than love, we go backwards in our influence. It's something that we've done as a church, and we've unnecessarily pushed people away. 
We didn't have to. So if we're going to build a church, a healthy, life-giving church that unchurched people want to become a part of, there has to be this understanding that we're not holding them accountable to the rules uh, that, that, are, that are set here. Some, uh, next week, we're going to talk about the idea of judging people inside. Please don't take today and think, now I know what I'm going to do. Some of you are just like pumped. You're like, yes, I knew it. We're supposed to judge us. Sister so-and-so is such a gossip. I'm telling her right out. She's not here, but I'm calling her, you know, because I'm allowed to do this now. I'm removing that plan, and we're going to talk about that next week. And some of you are on the opposite end. You're just like, you're just like oh, man, what you, what we're allowed to judge people in the church? Oh, man, it's going to be me next, you know. They picked out that guy. Next week, they're going to be like kicking me out of the church, and I'm never coming back here. I'll just like, I'll make sure. It's not that at all. We'll talk about it next week. Don't, don't get too, uh, too concerned about it. But the last thought is, is this. Keep loving those in the community of faith, because that's what a follower of Jesus does. If you want to be a follower, keep loving those who are in the, in, on the inside, and stop judging those who are on the outside. Simple as a follower of Jesus Christ. They're simple things. They're simple thoughts. Maybe a little bit to live out and do, but love those on the inside, and stop judging those on the outside. Good? Amen. Cool.